to ask that you <clears throat> take your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 to 16 of Hebrews chapter 11. As you find that, I'd like to read uh, these verses. Um, let us once again hear the word of our risen Lord and Savior inspired through the Holy Spirit. Let us listen to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. We'll read down to verse number 16. The word of the Lord says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended of having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out, excuse me, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word this day. Father, would you help us now as we look to your word for encouragement, for strength, for enlightenment, for truth, for hope, for security, 
for conviction, for confrontation, correction, and guidance. Father, your word is truth. This morning we pray that you would help us to set our eyes on eternity and that by so doing it would change our everyday activities, our everyday thoughts, and the way that we go about our lives. Father, we pray these things through our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Was well, those who have put their faith and hope in the person and work of Jesus, we are a peculiar people. We as believers are peculiar people on this earth. And that's what this series has tried to draw out and emphasize ways that we as followers of Jesus should look different than the world around us. We've seen how we are to have a peculiar unity, that we have a peculiar mission, a peculiar presence in this world, a peculiar battle that we wage and that we fight, a peculiar impartiality that we show with our lives. And today, we're going to conclude this series on how we as believers have a peculiar hope, a peculiar hope. The Bible speaks of us, as we've just read, as being strangers and exiles on the earth, of us being aliens and citizens of another kingdom. So this type of language points to our allegiance being our savior, Jesus. It speaks about how we indeed are to be different than those in the world because of whose we are. We are to be different because ultimately we are citizens of another kingdom. We're to be different because that is what God has done in us. And because our hope is in the kingdom to come, the way that we live in the here and the now should be different. It's good for us to conclude this series with kind of taking a step back, to kind of, as it were, take a, take a deep breath and to consider these things and, and remind ourselves of the big picture of who we are as Christians and for us to have an eye to eternity as we go about our daily lives here on earth. What can so easily happen to us is that we lose sight of eternity because we get caught up in the here and the now. We get caught up in the everyday activities that God has given us to do and that we perform and we begin to, over time, to lose sight of eternity and the world that is to come. Paul speaks about how we're prone to do this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He instructs us there to look not to the things that are seen, okay, that is the things that we see with our eyes, our daily lives that we go about, but to look to the things that are unseen. That is the life to come, the new heavens and the new earth. Why are we to do that? Because the things that are seen, he describes as transient. They're here and then they're gone. 
But the things that are unseen, that we don't see with our physical eyes, they indeed are eternal. They will last forever. The things we can't currently see with our eyes are eternal and everlasting. And we as Christians need to be reminded of that fact. Much like we need to be reminded, right, of our battle that we fight is, is, is not a physical type of battle. It's a spiritual battle, right? We need to be reminded of that. Also, we need to be reminded of the big picture here of our hope being in the things to come. We need to be a people who realize that this life and this present earth is not all that there is. There is a life to come. Now, I have no doubt if we were to take a quick test this morning with uh, school starting back up, if we were to take a quick test and, and I pass out a sheet of paper and I say, true or false, there is eternity and a life to come. I am quite confident every single person, I'll at least speak for our members, every member of RGBC will say, true, that is true. There is a life to come. That is absolutely true. But what happens is, is that we forget to connect the dots between that truth and that reality and the decisions that we make every single day the way that we live, the way that we interact with people, the things we say, the things we don't say, the decisions we make, our relationships, all of those things are to be impacted by the reality of whose we are and what is going to take place in the future. Now that doesn't mean that this present life isn't important or, or, or that how we live as citizens on this earth isn't important. It is important. It's drastically important. We've seen that over this series. God's Word speaks to us about how we are to live in this world. God instructs us in His Word of how to live as redeemed people. But we also need to realize we will live best in this life as we have a heavenly hope. We will live best and most faithfully as believers as we set our eyes on what is unseen, on what is eternal. Because as we consider eternal life, it will help us live faithfully in our present life. We see a beautiful picture of that here in Hebrews chapter 11. We see a picture of believers who lived best, best on this earth because their hope was in heaven. They were people of faith. They were people of hope. People who believed in the promises of God and lived a peculiar life on this earth because their allegiance was to King Jesus. Their hope was in Christ and the new heavens and the new earth that, was, that is to come when Jesus returns to this globe physically and sets his feet on this earth to make all things new. As we walk through these verses this morning, we'll first see in verse 1 to 3 kind of faith described, what this type of hope we could call, what this type of hope looks like, what it means. In verse 4 to 12, we'll see faith exemplified in people's lives, how their faith and hope in God changed them. And then we'll see in verse 13 to 16, faith's perspective. So let's begin the description of faith, verse 1 to 3, the description of faith. 
The letter to the Hebrews was written to those who were considering walking away from Jesus. They were, they were considering walking away from faith in Christ alone for salvation, from solely believing in him as their savior and sacrifice for sins. It seems many of these recipients were facing persecution because of their faith. Okay, so that we, we don't know in particular who, I have opinions, but we don't know in particular, it doesn't say who the author of Hebrews was. But he was writing to believers who bad things were happening to them because they believed in Jesus Christ. Okay, there was a direct correlation in their lives. They were seeking to live in obedience to Jesus Christ and bad things were happening to them because of it. Bad things had happened and were continuing to happen to them for their faith. And so the author had just exhorted these believers to draw near to God, draw near because of Jesus's mediatorial sacrifice for sins, because of what Jesus has done to draw near, to hold fast the faith, to stir one another up, to love and good works, to not neglect, to meet together, to persevere, to endure. He contrasts believers with those who, quote, shrink back and are destroyed. That is, those who had trusted in Christ, but who walked away. Literally, that word shrink back, as used in verse 39 um, and, and others there in chapter 10, the word shrink back has to do with lowering your sails. Those who pull back from the faith. You think of a, a, a sailboat? Just think of the many sailboats that we see around this area, and they have their sail up. Those that shrink back, they just, they just put down the sail. They're just, they're done. They're shrinking back. They're not continuing. What's the opposite of that, and what does the author say? Look at what he says in verse 39 of chapter 10. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That is, who do not persevere. Who, who walk away from the faith, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That is who we are in Christ. What is the opposite of apostasy, of walking away? Well, it is persevering. It is faith. It is hope in God in his promises. And so in chapter 11, we find this description of faith followed by examples of those from the Old Testament who lived and died in faith of those who were strangers and exiles on this earth. Verse 1 of chapter 11 describes faith and basically how faith works in our lives. Look at it there. It is described as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is an assurance. Faith is a conviction. It's an assurance and it's a, it's a conviction. What, what does the things that are hoped for comprise? Well, the things that are hoped for, we could say, uh, are the promises of God. Most fundamentally, the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. God forgiving us of our sins because of what Christ has done for us. It's the firm conviction of the reality of the things that we cannot see physically with our eyes. It's what we referenced earlier from the Apostle Paul, the things that are unseen and eternal. Faith is convinced of that. Faith holds on to that. Hope 
reaches out in reliance upon God, trusting it to be true. Just as a prong on a ring wraps around the diamond, so our faith holds on to the promises of God. And as verse 2 states, this is how Old Testament saints please God. It's how they receive their commendation. It was how God was pleased with them. Another beautiful descriptor of faith is given in verse number 3. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. None of us were around when God created the universe. We were not there. That event happened way in the past. We didn't see it with our eyes, but by faith we know that God created everything there is by the words he spoke. How do we know that? By faith. We know that by faith. Faith just means you believe what God says. As it is written in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God made everything out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. And we know that to be true by faith. Faith in what God says. And that is what faith is. Faith believes in what God says. And it must be asked of us today, do you believe that? Do you have faith in God's promises? Do you believe what he says about you and your sin? God's word is clear that all of us have fallen short. None of us is righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned. The question is, do you, do you agree with that? Do you believe God's word? God's word is also clear that Jesus Christ was sent as the savior of sinners. Jesus Christ never once sinned. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and died in our place and was raised on the third day. That's a proposition that God states. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? That is the promise of God. And if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, if you're here or watching online, if you're not trusting, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sinners can be forgiven, not by our own obedience of making it up and being a good person and living a good life and promising to do better. No, we can be saved from our sins by confessing I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to save me. That's the promise of God. That's what faith means. And that's what God calls us to. That's how he describes it. Are we continuing to do that? Are we continuing, even as believers, continuing to hold on in the faith, to grow in our faith, to grow in our obedience because of believing the promises of God? You see, Christians live differently in this world because we are people who believe what God says. And that will, it will, it will, it will change you. And that will change the way you live, which brings us to verses 4 to 12. The example of faith. We see this example of faith given to us in this beautiful chapter. 
that chronicles for us Old Testament saints who lived by faith in the word of God and their life was changed because of it. How we should view ourselves as peculiar people like they were, as strangers, as aliens, as they viewed themselves. We're only looking at part of this chapter, verse 4 to 12, as we're going to see, mention five Old Testament figures that exemplify this particular hope that we're to have as we live, as we have faith in God. These people live differently than the unbelieving world around them. That, is, that should be clear to us. And as we briefly look at them, hopefully our emotions and our thoughts will be stirred to obedience also. That's, that's what the author is doing here. He's recalling these people in the past, how they lived, how God was pleased with them as a motivation for us in the present to likewise live in obedience to God and have faith in his promises and hope in the life to come. And so same uh, a desire today as we look briefly at these five people that our uh, emotions, our hearts, our minds would all be stirred up to obedience, to keep on having faith in the promises of God, to keep on hoping in our Savior and the life to come. First thing we see here mentioned is Abel in verse 4. Abel. As we know from Genesis 4, God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Well, these verses answer that question. It was because Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. He offered it by faith, and so God received it. It was offered by faith, and God accepted it. Cain's was not offered in faith. Otherwise, God would have accepted it too. And though Abel is dead, he still speaks. This is great. I love this part. How? How does Abel, he died many moons ago. How does he still speak? Well, listen, he's an example of, to us to see that God accepts the one who hopes in him. God accepts the person who hopes in him and trusts his promises. God accepts the person who comes to him in faith. That still speaks to us today. And that is what Abel is saying, his example of his life. Though he's dead, he's saying, listen, I'm telling you, God accepts those who trust in his promises. God accepts those who hope in him. And I have no doubt there is some of you here this morning or listening that in particular need to hear that today. To be encouraged by that, maybe in despair, of just the prolonged, long race of the Christian life, right? It's not a sprint, it's an endurance race. Maybe your spiritual gas tank is just on empty. You just need to be encouraged this morning by hearing the fact, look, God accepts the one who hopes in him. Here's an example right here from scripture. Second is Enoch. Genesis doesn't have much to say about Enoch. It tells us that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. How did Enoch please God? Well, by having faith in him. And that faith was seen and evidenced in how Enoch lived and his life is described by walking with God. Now the point here is not that if you live a life of faith, 
You will not die, and you'll just have a stairway to heaven, and you'll just walk up it, and there you will be. No, that's not the point. It's not the point to say, please God, and you won't see death. You'll just walk on up into heaven. A chariot will come and pick you up, or Rolls Royce, whatever you want to see, and it'll just cruise you right on up. No, the point is, Enoch pleased God by virtue of his faith. And that those who please God by faith will triumph over death and will live forever with the Lord. That is what he is saying with his life. The life that is lived hoping and trusting in God is pleasing to God. God receives that life. Verse 6 states this fact plainly, doesn't it? And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You cannot please God without having faith in him. God is pleased when you believe what he says. God is pleased when you hope solely in him. Listen, it's, it's, and we need to make this distinction. It's not that faith in and of itself is pleasing to God. Faith by itself can't save anyone. Please hear me. Faith in and of itself never saved anybody. Faith is only as good as the object of what you're having faith in. Right? Faith is only as good as the object of your faith. In other words, it depends on what you have faith in. People today talk about someone being a person of faith. Or, or having faith, or that person is a, is a faith, he's, he's a man of faith. Well, we should ask the question, well, faith in what? Faith in whom? Right? Faith in God and his promises is pleasing to him. As stated in this verse, faith believes that God exists. Faith believes God exists. He is who he says he is and that God rewards those who seek him. Listen, as you believe in God and as you seek to live in obedience to God in your life, to put the death, the flesh, that it's like, it's like that old, uh, the flesh, it's like that, 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 that big flotation device that you push one end down and up pops the other and you come over here and you sprawl yourself out and you push that down and up pops another. That's like sin in our life, right? We'll never get the whole thing submersed and done away with in this life, just in the life to come. But as we live seeking to put to death the things within us, that life is pleasing to God and God rewards those who seek him. So the call is keep on believing, keep on living in obedience. God accepts those who live a life of obedience that springs from their faith in God. We see third Noah's life mentioned here in verse number seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world, and it goes on there. Noah had never seen a flood before. It had never rained on the earth before, but Noah believed what God said. And that belief naturally led him to obey. That's a beautiful picture of faith and works. God said, do this, and he's, he believed God, and that led to action. God said, build an ark, and Noah built an ark. What a beautiful picture, simple picture of faith. God says this, we believe it, 
and we change our actions because of it. The flood, as we see here, came. The world was condemned. Why was the world condemned? Because they did not believe in God. But Noah believed and became an heir of righteousness. The flood, listen, the flood of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament, was a picture and is a picture of the final judgment to come. Those who believe in Jesus, who believes in God's promises, are like Noah who built the ark. Just like Noah had never seen the flood, we also have never seen the final judgment. It's ahead of us. Just like the flood was ahead of Noah, he had never seen it, but it is coming. God's word is very clear. The judgment is coming. Just as sure as the flood in the Old Testament came, the judgment is coming and will come today. And for those believing, they will be saved just as Noah was saved. For those not believing, they will perish. They will drown. You will drown just like those during the flood. This is an exhortation to you who are not trusting in Jesus Christ. God's word is very clear. It gave a promise in the Old Testament of a flood to come and the destruction that would be there, and that happened. Those not trusting in the promises of God drowned and died and were in judgment. Just like that little picture in the Old Covenant, so is the judgment to come when Christ returns then it will be too late for the forgiveness of sins and you will die in judgment apart from Christ. Noah speaks out to us to say, believe in God's promises, live by faith, be different than those who don't believe in God's promises, right? You may look a little crazy and different because of it, I guarantee you. Right, the things that we've seen in in this series that we're to live differently, you're gonna look different, peculiar is a nice way to say it. You know, maybe strange and crazy is another way, just depending on on our society that we live in. Can you believe, I mean, no doubt Noah looked that way as he's out there building a big boat. I mean, just imagine what was being said to him by these people who mocked God. I'm sure they mocked God's person who believed in him. But Noah knew I'm going to believe God's word and hope in him. And he put his head down and lived faithfully. Let that example speak to us here today. Not only Noah, Abraham in verses 8 to 10 is chronicled. Oh, how Abraham was a picture of faith in his life. Faith does not see the end at the beginning. Same thing with hope. Hope does not see the end at the beginning. Verse 8 to 10 chronicle how Abraham obeyed God. He went out to a place he had never seen. God said, go. Go where, God? That way. And off he went. He believed, he hoped to receive it as an inheritance. Yet Abraham lived in tents. The promise of the land wasn't ultimately being realized. And verse 10 shows us that Abraham was ultimately seeking a city with foundations whose designer and builder is God. You see, the land of Canaan was pointing to something greater, something more profound 
that he would inherit the city of God, which was to come. And the author of Hebrews here points that out to us, that Abraham is faith in God, trusting in the city that would be built with God being the designer, God being the builder, and that would be to come. And so he hoped and had faith in God. You know how we see how Abraham's descendants even speak today. Abraham didn't see those descendants immediately. He just saw a couple of them. He didn't see like sand of the seashore. You know how the sand is, how, how tiny. Think of the, all, the, all the sand. Abraham didn't see that, but God brought it about. Lastly, Sarah, verse 11 to 12. Sarah believed in the promises of God. We know there's a little parenthesis there. We also know she laughed, right? We know Abraham, he had, these people were by no means uh, perfect in their obedience, which I think we find great comfort in, knowing that likewise we are not perfect in our obedience. Sarah laughed, but ultimately she believed. She believed in the promises of God. Partly we know this because Isaac was not born through immaculate conception. So she believed in the promise to have a child and lived accordingly. Even though Abraham and her were doubly dead, as Romans 4 tells us. They believed that God would fulfill his word. Abraham was 100 years old. And this was before uh, people living, Methuselah, etc., 900 years old, that, that had ceased to happen. Right? People dying around 120, 100, 90, all those. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah in her 90s. But she... Quote, considered him faithful who had promised. And God is always faithful to keep his promise. These people's lives exemplified faith. They exemplified living with the future gospel hope. They're recorded to show us that a life lived in faith is pleasing to God. A life of faith is a life that will look peculiar, different from the world of around us. That's the perspective that we see in these last verses, 13 to 16. These people, as it says there in verse 13, they died in faith, not having received the things promised to them. God promised Abraham descendants like the stars and sands, but Abraham didn't see that when he died. And how did Abraham live? How did his faith in God change the way he lived on this earth? Like the others, he was a stranger. He was an exile on this earth. And the earth refers to here the worldly, earthly way of living. For we know that the meek will inherit the earth and the kingdom of God will be established on this globe, this circle. Jesus will return and establish his kingdom here forever and ever. But this current fallen world is not our home, this worldly way of system that we live in today. It is not our home. This place and this way of living is not our country. We so desperately need to hear that. This is not our country. We are not citizens of this earth, this place. Our ultimate citizenship is citizenship of the kingdom of God. Currently, the truth of the matter is we are exiles. You have a citizenship. Most of us, I think, are citizens of the United States of America. 
But the truth of the matter is, ultimately, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are exiles, citizens of this country, but most profoundly, exiles, citizens of God's kingdom living in a foreign land and a foreign time. So our hope, what that means is our hope is in our king. Our hope is in King Jesus. Our hope is in the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Our hope is being able to hear Jesus say on a day in the future, well done, good and faithful servant. That is our hope. Listen, kingdoms will come, kingdoms will go. But the kingdom of God is eternal. Just read your history book. Look at the kingdoms as they rise and the kingdoms fall. But look, the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and well today. And the church of Jesus Christ is the only institution that will be eternal. We are citizens by grace of that kingdom. Citizens of that kingdom will eventually make it home. They will receive their reward, their commendation of faith. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Is that how you speak? Is that how you think that you are a stranger and alien on this earth? Living by faith in God's promises shows that we're seeking a city whose designer and builder is God. If they had been, the text says, thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham could have gone back to Ur if he was only seeking earthly stuff. Jacob could have returned to Uncle Laban instead of going to Canaan. The truth is they desired a better country, a heavenly one, one with God Almighty. And God is pleased with that type of hope. God is pleased with that type of faith. Does your life make it clear that you are seeking a better city? Does, does the way you live today display and show that you're a stranger and an alien in this land in which we live. Listen, each of these folks, we, we just hit part of the chapter in 11, it continues on, gloriously continues on. Each of these folks mentioned in this chapter had a context to their struggles. We need to remember that. We've got a context to our struggle, right? They had a context to their struggles. They lived in time and place with circumstances, temptations, distractions, pitfalls, various situations. But they were called to live by faith and hope in the promises of God and the hope of eternal life through Christ. In the same way, we face our own challenges. We face our own difficulties. But the call to us is the same as the call to them, to live with hope in the promises of God as strangers and exiles on this earth. The problem is, as, as Paul Tripp has put it, we can struggle with eternity amnesia. We just sort of forget about eternity. We're tempted just to focus on the things of this life as being ultimate. We're, we're, we seek to find paradise here and now and not put off things here and now, seeking paradise to come. We do this with our possessions. We can seek 
and begin to be happy with the stuff we have, right? It's fun to get stuff. We like to get stuff. We work to get stuff. Each of us like different stuff, but we work to get that stuff. And we think if I can have this, I know that's going to make me happy. And we get that stuff and we're happy. And then we want some more stuff and we want some different stuff. And we can follow into that continual trap. You contrast that with what we see taking place in Hebrews 10, 34, which says, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These people, people took their stuff because they were Christians. They were taking their things because of their faith in Christ. They were being persecuted. And you know what they thought of it? It says there, that's fine. You joyfully accepted it because you knew your best life, your plundering, as it says here, you had more possessions and abiding one in heaven. Because people down here and Satan and all that, they can't touch that stuff that is in heaven that God has put away for us. And so these believers, not only were they not hoping in their possessions, man, people stole their possessions and they just said, that's fine, we've got our possessions, our joy is in heaven. It's not all about the stuff that we have down here. Man, how we need, how I need to be reminded of that. This stuff is transient. We can have eternity amnesia in our relationships. We put on people more than they can give us and more than they're supposed to carry. We look to others to give us inner peace and satisfaction. And if they let us down, then we're distraught, then we're angry. Rather, we should love others as Christ has loved us and look for our ultimate peace and our ultimate satisfaction in our relationship with Jesus Christ and the life to come. And man, oh man, can we have eternity amnesia in in our understanding and our view of politics? Much has been said already on that in this series. We all have a deep-seated desire of peace and unity and love and togetherness. But listen, that will only purely come when King Jesus returns to rule and reign. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we're not to be salt and light on this earth and these things are important. They are. But it means that we as believers better look different than people who are all caught up in this life thinking all this stuff is ultimate, that all this stuff means everything. We ought not to get caught up in the current climate of this us versus them and that I can have peace in my life when America lives according to God's principles. Listen, last time I checked, non-believers are going to live like non-believers. We fight for what is right as good citizens, but at the end of the day, our hope is in King Jesus and King Jesus returning to this earth to rule and to reign in righteousness. So let's live differently as brothers and sisters in Christ. And man alive, especially during this whole political season that we're coming into, I just hope and I pray that we, if, if there's somebody that we disagree with, especially somebody who's not a believer, Man, we ought to care more about their soul than their political views. We, we ought to care more about their relationship with Jesus Christ than, you know, who we're, we're afraid they're going to or not going to vote for come November. Man, we need to have that eternal perspective 
People that aren't trusting in Christ are under judgment. That should change the way we interact with people. Stuff's important, right? This is a tension. Tensions in scripture are hard. Stuff's important. We're called to live faithfully as citizens and to be good citizens. I'm not discrediting that, but there's a tension there. Man, you give it a thousand years, you're not going to remember. Get, imagine we're in year 5.7 billion of eternity. I mean, how big is, is this sort of stuff going to look? I guarantee you it's going to look pretty big for those who are there and those who are not there in eternity. So our perspective should be on calling those to faith in Christ. We should look differently, brothers and sisters, because of eternity. Even in our lives with our unfulfilled dreams, you live long enough, you're gonna have unfulfilled hopes and expectations. Thinking that you've missed out on life, Right? Every, every one of us will have to face this. The, the life has passed you by. You wanted to do these things and you're becoming, uh, you're a realist and you're coming to the conclusion, I'm not going to be able to do that, to be a part of this or to take, make that happen. This life passes us by. We face disappointments in this life. Things we hoped would be better, but they're not. And there's disappointments. There's disappointments that abound in marriage, in our occupation, in our friendships with others. In the places we live, we don't live. Disappointments that parents have with kids and, listen, kids have with parents. All of these disappointments in life should be like little goads, little prongs, little stingers that remind us our paradise is in eternity. Our hope is in the life to come. Brothers and sisters, let us live differently because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. I want to conclude reading a couple of verses of scripture. Chapter 12, verse number one, therefore, speaking of these verses, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and believing and trusting in your promises. Father, would you forgive us where we view ourselves more as citizens of this world than citizens of your kingdom. Help us to be faithful to you in our everyday lives. Father, help us to live differently today, tomorrow, because of who we are in Christ and that our hope is not in this life but the life to come. Pray, Father, that that blessed assurance would control us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.